Good morning. Can you believe it? Uh, just two weeks away from Christmas. Uh, we had a wonderful reminder of it yesterday with Piercing Word here, uh, a beautiful performance that was here uh, in the auditorium yesterday, and uh, a little dusting of snow out there to tease us as well. Uh, we hope you'll join us on Christmas Sunday for our special service that begins at 9 a.m. Don't let those rumors start. It's not 10 a.m. It's 9 a.m. Uh, Christmas Sunday. Well, if you'd make your way on over to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. And if you've noticed from the handout in your bulletin, my assignment involves the Christmas hymn, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Uh, Pastor Dave covered O Come All Ye Faithful last Sunday, and we're certainly looking forward to seeing Bruce back in the pulpit next week as he shares on the carol away in a manger. So let's talk about angels. Let's talk about angels this morning. And I'm not talking about the touched by an angel kind of story. You know what I'm talking about? Not, not the touched by an angel TV series, nine seasons of that, uh, tortured by that. Uh, thank you, CBS. Just awful, awful touched by a demon, more like it and touched by an angel. It's not what we're talking about this morning. This morning, and really any morning here at Grace Life for that matter, there's one source book, right? The Bible. The Bible is the sole authority, and, and it will be on the subject of angels this morning. You know, the Mormons, the Mormons believe that Jesus and Lucifer are some kind of spirit brothers, uh, basically angels, in which uh, one had to be chosen to be the good guy, and the other had to be chosen to be the bad guy, almost like flipping a coin, and God the Father was the one flipping the coin. Do you know why they believe this? Do you know why? Because they do not see this as the very word of God. That's why. But we do. We do. And it is in this source book, the Bible, the very word of God, that there are 389 references to angels, and we're going to cover every one of them this morning. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not going to happen. From Genesis to Revelation, 389. There are 213 in the Old Testament and 176 in the New. Now, there's no way we can cover everything there is to know concerning angels in the Bible this morning, but we'll do our best to touch on a number of these points. What we want to do, if you look at your bulletin, you'll see this. Uh, we want to take a moment here to learn about this beautiful hymn, Angels from the Realms of Glory. As it's saturated, it really is saturated with scriptural references. And then second here, we want to look at the Christmas story found in Luke chapters 1 and 2 through the lens of angels. We'll zero in on some specific mentions of angels in those texts, as well as uh, some other facts uh, throughout biblical history. And then third here, including answering three of the most popular questions we, we, we have received over time, really, as your pastors, uh, when discussing good angels good angels, holy angels as they're called in the Bible. And that's really our roadmap for today. So uh, we might as well jump in and get right to it. If you have that half sheet handout, you'll see on it not only the schedule of what we're doing here in the month of December uh, with these carols, but you'll also see you have the lyrics from Angels from the Realms of Glory. Let me just take a moment. Let me just read that. You can grab that for a moment. 
It reads, angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight over all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story. Now, this is talking about angels, right? Who were created by God, who were uh, present and sang at creation. Uh, Job 1, 6 says this. Job 38, 7 tells us this. And now they proclaim the Messiah's birth. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Shepherds in the fields abiding, watching over your flocks by night. God with man is now residing. God with man. That's Emmanuel, right? That's what Brian just read. Matthew 1, 23. Yonder shines the infant light. We should be familiar with that phrase, light, because Pastor Dave's taken us through the Gospel of John, and we see that in chapter 1. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Sages, or wise men, leave your contemplations. Brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations. Desire with a capital D, that's Jesus And that term is taken from Haggai 2.7, desire of nations. Ye have seen his natal star, the star in the east, the star of Bethlehem. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in the temple shall appear. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king very interesting when we call Jesus king, something to note here, we sing it at times too. We need to be careful with this because it is an expression, certainly he is king of kings, capital K, king of lowercase k, kings, but it speaks of his inheritance. It speaks of his legitimate right to rule. You know, Jesus is not sitting in the throne right now. He's sitting to the right hand of the Father. And so we got to be careful. It's okay that he's referenced as king, but he's a coming king is what's happening. This is why the millennial return is, is so important for us, because we recognize there's going to be a day when he returns that he is going to, 2 Samuel 7, that he is going to sit literally upon the throne of David and rule on this earth. But that hasn't occurred yet. You know, one way to think of this is sort of, if you bear with me, like electing a president. You know, every four years we we vote and we elect a president. When that individual is named the president who has won that election, they are the president-elect, right? They're recognized as the president-elect. Oh, they're protected, they're honored in that position, but they're not sitting behind the resolute desk. They're not in the Oval Office hasn't occurred yet. So they're the president-elect. In much the same way, Jesus is our king because he's the coming king. Because he has, he's the only one who has the right to rule from the throne of David. And he will. There will be a day when he will do that. So it's great to say, worship Christ, the newborn king. But let's not get sloppy. We want to recognize a little theology there. And we need to be careful when we call him king. He's a coming king. He's the king of kings. Now, not only is there some great theology that's embedded in this Christmas carol, but there's also a good story as to how we received it. 
I want to tell you about a guy named James Montgomery. Some of you are going, James Montgomery Boyce? No, not James Montgomery Boyce. James Montgomery. He was born to two Irish Moravian missionary parents in November of 1771. So he is born in Ireland. And at the age of five, his parents are called into the mission field and they leave. And James is enrolled in a boarding school located in Yorkshire, England. And then at the age of 12, he learns that both of his parents end up being killed uh, out on a West Indies mission field. And so James, of course, is crushed by the loss of his parents. He doesn't know what to do. He, he flunks out of school, and essentially in his mid to late teens, he wanders from city to city. He's doing uh, all kinds of odd jobs, all the while he's living on the streets. And about the only thing he really enjoyed doing was writing. He loved to write. And thankfully, the editor of the Sheffield Iris, Sheffield is a small town in England, the paper hires him to start writing some stories. Uh, James Montgomery loves the job, but he also learns how hard it is to be an Irishman under English rule, if you can imagine that. So the editor is a staunch Irishman as well, and he would write these hateful articles about how terrible the English were. He's abdicating for Ireland's freedom and just about everything that is printed, so much so that the editor gets run out of town. And you guessed it, James... James Montgomery is named the editor of this little paper at age 23. At the same time, quietly, James begins to study the scriptures, not to really find Jesus, mind you. No, he's trying to understand his parents. He's working through that. What made them tick? What would make them leave? What would make them uh, sacrifice for God and for others? And what James found was a book unlike any other, right? It's one about grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, the polar opposite of the anger and hatred he had participated in with the paper. And so it's on Christmas Eve in 1860 that James Montgomery did something completely unexpected. And everyone who's a reader of the Sheffield Iris, they picked up that paper. I mean, they're addicted to this. They're expecting to read more hatred towards the English. Yes, bring it on. Bring it on. I want to read that. I mean, he had a strong Irish following. They're addicted to this great division that existed. But when they picked it up, they read something entirely different this time. It was a poem. And it was a poem titled Nativity. And that would eventually go on to become the hymn in our hands, Angels from the Realms of Glory. It's a beautiful Christmas carol calling all to come and worship, come and worship Christ, the newborn King. Well, let's move to our text for this morning, beginning in Luke 1. We carry on from the realms of glory to really the Christmas story. And remember, we are looking at this. We're reading this text through the lens of angels, references to angels that are here. And we're going to take a few minutes and, and read these passages found in Luke chapter, uh, chapters 1 and 2. And let me just say this as we do this, as we really kind of meditate on these passages. You know, life is busy, Christmas season even busier. And it's very vi- it's vital, it's important for us to just stop in our busyness sometime in this season and meditate on these truths. 
not just here Sunday morning. And yeah, in some ways I'm speaking of uh, a devotional life where you're in the word on a regular basis, but not necessarily so, although that's a wonderful thing. I'm talking about just a challenge to just this season, just some time to quietly stop and meditate on these truths that are here. Look at Luke 1, verse 11, speaking of Zacharias in the temple uh, while performing his priestly duties. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit, in the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. By the way, Piercing Word did a terrific job with that, almost humorously if you were there yesterday with that. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And it is good news indeed, isn't it? And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, the word uh, angel, both in the Old and New Testaments, comes from a word that means basically messenger, Many of us know that, messenger. And that's certainly an important aspect of the ministry of angels and what they do. They are God's messengers. In verse 19 here, you see, it mentions Gabriel. Okay, it mentions an angel by name. One of only two angels named in scripture, the other being Michael. And this is, this is an archangel. We're gonna get to that in a moment here. But if you turn over to uh, verse 26. Verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid. This pattern happens often. Every time an angel appears, sometimes we fall like dead men, but an angel appears and we're told not to be afraid because of that glory that is there surrounding the angel. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him what? What did we just talk about? the throne of his father, David. Do you see that? He is going to reign from that throne and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. 
Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. So his mission, the angel here, Gabriel, was accomplished. And Gabriel returns to the presence of God, to the realms of glory. I want to jump one more passage to chapter 2. But before I do that, I can't hesitate. I, I, I can't. I, I have to do this. It's, it's really uh, verse 47 in this same chapter. Um, it, it's, it's a verse that you should know when we deal with the issue of worshiping Mary. This is one of my go-to texts when addressing the Roman Catholic fallacy that Mary was immaculate, that she was sinless and, and worthy of worship. As you can see here, she recognized her need for a Savior. Look at 147, same chapter. This is Mary, and she says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You see that? How powerful that is? She is calling God, and she's referencing really here the Lord Jesus, her Savior. That's a really important text to hold on to if you're talking with uh, Roman Catholic family or friends and you get on the subject of uh, worshiping Mary, you can share this with those you, you care about. That even Mary, Mary herself, called Jesus her Savior. That should be enough. That's because someone who's sinless doesn't need a savior. But Mary was a sinner. Now, if you jump to chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. I sure hope you're familiar with these. This is, again, looking at it through the lens of an angel, or angels in this case. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and watching over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people for today in the city of David. There has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Verse 9, 
So much we could point out here, but I just want to say in verse 9, I hadn't seen this before in this way. And it just proves that you cannot exhaust the word of God. No matter how many times you read a passage, it's certainly a familiar passage. That's why sometimes it's good to do your devotions in different translations. But you see the phrase here, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Could you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, I know I've, I, I've even personally preached a message on the Shekinah glory. I mean, we focused and looking at the glory of the Lord, but can you fathom what that had to be like when an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and then the glory of the Lord shone all around them. Now, what does this passage, or really all of these, tell us about angels? Well, it tells us an awful lot. It tells us a lot. It tells us that angels have uh, mental ability, intellect, you might say, and they have the ability to communicate, to make their thoughts, or really God's will known, and in this instance, it's to mankind. I should add, really for another day, but it's important to state here, a full third, one third of the holy angels fell into sin. They followed Lucifer, and Lucifer was the number one worship angel, and they followed him into rebellion against God. And Lucifer, Lucifer is a, what's known as a cherubim. It's a class of angels that has indescribable power and winged beauty. Cherubim, you may recall, guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Same kind of angel was. Seraphim are angels who proclaim God's holiness, such as in Isaiah 6, as they continually cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as we've already read, there are archangels, archangels like uh, Gabriel and Michael. So you have these three different classes of angels that exist, cherubim, seraphim, and archangels. So a third of these angels, of all these angels, follow Lucifer. Why is this important? It's to recognize not only that they have intellect, but they have a will. They have a will, as it says in Jude 6, that they are able to leave their first estate. And you know, a third of them did. A full third did that. And in the Christmas story, we see holy angels who worship God. And that is a, a big part of their created purpose, to worship God. Again, end of verse 13 here in chapter 2. They are praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Highest meaning heaven. And how many angels are there? Well, there are too many to count. Verse 13 calls them a multitude. Angels are not a race, but more like a heavenly host, a holy host, even an army. In Revelation 5 verse 11, John refers to them as myriads of myriads. I like that. Myriads of myriads. Hard to count. So as we consider angels, we see that these, uh, these angels are unique. They're magnificent. They're created beings that exist for God's own glory. That's, that's what they're like. And they share some elements with us. I mean, we have mental ability. Okay, that might be debatable, but we're supposed to. We possess the ability to communicate and we have a will as well. But they are different from us in that scripture says that man is created in the image of God in a way that it does not ascribe to angels. Men and women are flesh and bone, whereas angels and spirits, angels are spirits. 
Men and women marry and have children. Angels do not. There's no such thing as baby angels. Sorry. I know you have some pretty figurines. You're probably still going to have some pretty figurines. No such thing. No cute little, oh, look, a baby angel with the wings. No. It's not real. It doesn't exist. They are simply ministering spirits. Would you turn a few pages ahead in Luke to chapter 4, Luke 4. Angels are spirits normally invisible to us and are referred as such in a number of places. You know, Hebrews 1.14 calls them ministering spirits. And throughout the gospel accounts, uh, demons or fallen angels are routinely referred to as unclean spirits. Uh, Matthew 10, 1, 12, 43, Mark 1, 26. But look at Luke 4, beginning in verse 33, as Jesus, who's God, is speaking directly to one of his fallen created beings. Okay, it's a fallen angel who responds, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Of course he does. This is his creator. You know, it reminds me of a a similar incident in Matthew 8 where they cry out, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Because they know the end times. They know the eschatology. They know the lake of fire. They know the judgment that awaits. And here in Luke 4, Jesus doesn't just give him a hug. Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. Verse 36, an amazement came upon them all. And they began talking with one another saying, what is this message? For with authority and, and power he commands, and here it is, the unclean spirits, and they come out. Now, the point here is that there are a number of these references to angels, holy and fallen, as spirits, as spirits. And Jesus makes a a similar distinction at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, if you will. Just turn to chapter 24. going to be turning a lot of pages this morning. My hope is to try to do most of it chronological, chronologically. Luke 24. Well, Jesus says here in Luke 24, verse 39, he says, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So a spirit does not have a body, in other words. It does not have a a material existence that you can touch and feel. So when the Bible calls angels ministering spirits or even unclean spirits, it is making a statement about their essence. They are spiritual and they are generally invisible to us. More on that shortly. I hesitated because I think I was going to share a little more with you on when they're not invisible, but I'm going to get to that later, so I'm going to hold off on that. So we'll look at, uh, we've looked at two of the three key observations, if you're following along in your notes this morning. One here is angels from the realms of glory. This is James Montgomery's Christmas Carol, and it's calling us all to worship. Second here, angels in the Christmas story, where we can see a number of key observations on angels. 
I mean, they're created by God, many in number. They possess an intellect, a will, even emotions as they sing praises. Uh, They're organized as archangels, cherubim, seraphim, and they are generally invisible. But there's much more to consider with angels. So let's move on to the third point here. Angels throughout history. Number three here. Angels throughout history. Sort of an angels 101. An opportunity for us to continue walking through our New Testament in search of a greater understanding of these angelic beings. In fact, I have uh, seven passages I want you to turn to. We're just going to move through them chronologically again in our New Testaments. And you're pretty close to the first one, but you need to turn back a few chapters to Luke 16. Luke 16. Here we see the ministry of angels. They are much more than just uh, messengers of God. In a familiar passage, we almost stumble upon this special ministry, one that seems to be to believers when they die. Luke 16, 22, it says, Now it came about that the poor man died, and he was, and here it is, carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, really referring to, to heaven there. And the rich man also died and was buried. It's important to add that this is most likely a parable, so I, I don't want to misuse this t- text here to create some full-fledged doctrine. I want to be careful with that. But it does seem to me that, there, that, that it is a part of their special ministry, a comforting ministry to believers. believers. Angels are present, maybe even involved in the death of God's saints. And that's a comforting ministry that's there. But just the opposite, in opposite fashion, is Acts 12. If you look at Acts 12. Because Acts 12 sees angels sometimes used as instruments of death to unbelievers. Matter of fact, much of the book of Revelation does that as well. Acts 12 here, verse 23. Speaking of Herod. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. An angel struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. So it seems that they can be involved at the death of believers and in the death of unbelievers. Now we want to be careful here. We're not saying that there is an angel of death. Okay? That actually, that term, that identity was created really by Old Testament Jews. But there's no scriptural bearing for that. Yes, angels can be involved in the death of unbelievers. We just read that. But not a specific angel. That is the angel of death. No, it's angels in general that can be involved with that. Third here, Acts 27. If you move to chapter 27, we see them encouraging believers Just one instance here. I mean, almost 400 verses that involve angels in our Bibles. There is no way. I mean, I'm just picking and choosing a couple as we move through. And I hope you understand that. I mean, this is in no means exhaustive. Acts 27, we see them encouraging believers. Acts 27, 23. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, in verse 24, do not be afraid. In verse 25, keep up your courage. So God has in his plan of redemptive history, he's used angels to deliver an encouraging word. 
And in this very special and unique case, it's the Apostle Paul. Fourth one here, we learn that redeemed mankind is going to be exalted over the angels. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six, verse three. Very simple statement here. Do you not know that we will judge angels? Seems pretty straightforward to me. In the uh, MacArthur Study Bible, it adds in the notes that since angels are ministering spirits to serve the saints, it seems reasonable that they will serve us in glory. Fifth here, they are elect angels. I want you to see this. First Timothy. Look at First Timothy 5. First Timothy 5.21. I know we're moving quickly through these. First Timothy 5.21. Again, 176 references to angels in the New Testament. And here Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says in verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels or chosen angels that you observe these things these are elect angels and there are fallen angels and you know what it's all a part of god's sovereign plan he is sovereign over mankind why wouldn't the same character attribute apply to any other aspect of his creation and in this case angels so there are elect angels. Those are the holy angels. Sixth, keep moving along here to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2.11, where it tells us that angels have greater power than man. And if you know anything about your Old Testament, you already know this. There's a couple passages, one I can think of that is pretty, pretty amazing what, what the damage that one angel does in killing Thousands of individuals. Second Peter 2.11, angels who are greater in might and power. They're greater in might and power. And one more before we tackle those three common questions. Uh, it's a decent sized passage. Revelation 5. If you turn to Revelation 5, I'm going to read a couple verses here for you. Revelation 5 beginning in verse 8. You know, holy, good angels help and protect people. Uh, every activity of theirs, whatever the attribute we're, we're looking at, is furthering God's redemptive purposes. But it does come back to worship. And Revelation 5, beginning in verse 8, says, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls, uh, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, this is Jesus, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue uh, and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was, here it is again, myriads of myriads. And then it adds in thousands of thousands. They're innumerable. Verse 12, 
saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. So they're worshiping God. I love that passage. I love one of the songs we sing in here about that passage. If that sounds familiar from singing, it's because it's the Revelation song. It's one of the songs that we sing often here at Grace Life. But what are these angels doing? I mean, they're in the presence of God. They're in the immediate presence of God at the throne, and they're worshiping him. They have direct and immediate access to the throne of God. These good, these elect angels, and they are worshiping. They are responding to the character of God and ascribing glory and majesty to his name. So here's a summary of what we've quickly seen. They minister, angels minister to to believers when they die. They can be used as instruments of death to unbelievers. They can encourage believers, but man in eternity will be exalted over them. They're elect angels. They have greater power than man and are worshiping in the immediate presence of God. Which brings us to three common questions where we'll spend the rest of our time here this morning looking at even more scripture to answer these three questions. And you can find these three questions in your bulletins. The first one here is, are there guardian angels? Are there guardian angels. Do you and I have a uh, specific angel that's been assigned for the duration of our time here on earth? Does every single believer who's ever lived have their own individual kind of personal angel? We'll answer that in a moment. If you make your way on over to Matthew 18, though, that's going to be helpful. Matthew 18. Second here, can we expect angelic visitations? I mean, do angels appear to people today? Is that even possible? And then third, into what, what do angels long to look? We'll close out our time with that one. What do angels long to look? But first, number one here, are there guardian angels? You know, there are a number of scriptures that tell of angels, even a specific angel coming to a person's aid. And some will use Old Testament texts that speak of a singular, the angel of the Lord. Do you see that? The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord kept coming to that person's aid. And they'll say, hey, maybe that's their personal guardian angel. But we need to be clear here in the Old Testament, there's a big difference between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. When the definite article the, when the is used, it is specifying a unique being that's separate from other angels. The angel of the Lord is what we call a theophany, or better yet, a Christophany. It's an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, God, in a physical form. That's why it only happens in the Old Testament. These appearances, they cease after the incarnation of Christ in the gospel accounts. So we got to be careful when we look at our Bibles, 
and we see, we want to read context too, but often when we see an indefinite article there, if we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it could very well be referring to a theophany, a Christophany that's there. But with that said, there's only one biblical text that really teaches on the subject of guardian angels. Matthew 18.11. Look at Matthew 18.11. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, here it is, that their angels, possessive there, right? Their angels in heaven continually see the face of my father who is in heaven. And, you know, these words line up well with Psalm 91, 11, and 12, where it says, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. He's going to give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. So let's be clear here. We are told that angels are agents of God's care to us in a way that is Uh, similar, you might say, to the way that God cares for us within the body of Christ as we serve one another. God's ministers sometimes his grace to us uh, directly, sometimes indirectly through his instruments as well. And as we have seen, yes, Scripture clearly states that angels are ministering spirits, but it does not say that there are individual personal guardian angels for each believer or every person. In general, yes, but specific, no. One commentator, I was going through a few commentaries, I was just curious uh, how others would address this. One commentator used a sports analogy that I liked here for the answer. It said the angels may be playing some kind of zone defense instead of a man-to-man defense. I think that's biblically accurate. I think that's what we're really looking at here. Look, there's not going to be a day in heaven where you're going to go to a specific angel You're going to go to Angelino and say, hey, thank you. Thank you for this whole time. Yes, I just ascribed Italians are now angels. Angels are Italians in heaven. Yes, I just said that. But you're not going to have a specific angel that you're going to thank in heaven, that one angel, and go, hey, I I want to name you by name. I just want to tell you, thank you for all that you've done for me. Oh, yes. We will be thankful to God for him placing angels in our care. No doubt. We see that in Scripture in many ways. And we want to be thankful to God for that. We don't worship angels. But not a specific guardian angel. Second here, can we expect angelic visitations? That takes us to Hebrews, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Can we expect angelic visitations? And you know what? Let's go to the text first. Is it possible to interact with angels today? Hebrews 13, 2. Many of you know this verse. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this, and here it is, some have entertained angels without knowing it or unaware. So, is it possible? Well, I'm just going to tell you, I believe It is possible in my life, there was an experience that I had at a very critical turning point in my life where uh, I believe it's very plausible that that was an angel. I do, depending on my emotions, the stress of the week. 
I might have a different answer for you. Sometimes I say, yes, I, I think that was an angel. Other times, I'm not sure. But, but here's what we need to know about this. We don't go to our experiences first. We don't go to our emotions. No, we go to what is possible first. We go to the source book. And the Bible tells us, yes, it is possible that I could have entertained an angel. Or he could have helped me. But the key here is, you see it? Without knowing it. Unaware. So can we expect angelic visitations? Yes. Will we know on this side of heaven? No. No, you won't. No, you won't. So you might think there might have been a situation in your life. But you know what? That could have just been a faithful servant of God. That gentleman that I'm thinking of on the side of the road that ministered to me, I'm not even going to bother telling you the story, but I'm just going to tell you it was a very critical point in my life. It could have been just a very faithful, loving brother that God used. And I praise God for him doing that. But it also could have been an angel. I don't know. But I know it's possible. We go to the word first to see if it's possible. Then we filter our experiences through that. Not the other way around. Oh, that's dangerous. Oh, I saw something green moving in my kitchen. You know, is that even possible? Right? Let's go to the word first. Third here. Into what do angels long to look? I hope you're still with me on all these. Uh, in, into what do angels long to look? First Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Some have called it a, a holy curiosity. I like that, holy curiosity. But the, the text in, in 1 Peter 1.12 is uh, that they long to look. And, and look at our last text here, 1 Peter 1.12. I'll just read the last half here. Those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, these are the things into which angels long to look. Angels marvel at the gospel, at the gospel. And mark this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not become an angel in order to redeem fallen angels. The eternal son of God became a man in order to redeem sinful men, sinful women like you and me. The atonement, the, the ministry of Christ, the coming of Christ was for human beings like us rather than for angels. So much so that scripture says the glory of salvation is something that angels long to look into. And it's not as if they haven't been involved in it, in the gospel. I mean, they announced Christ's birth. They ministered to him during his times of testing. They stood by his grave when he arose from the dead. They attended his ascension into heaven. They rejoice over sinners who repent. And after our death, we will join the angels for heavenly worship. Angels have a holy curiosity to understand God's mercy and his grace. That which they cannot and will not ever experience found in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, when a third of the angels fell, that was it. That was it. There's no redemption for an angel. Think on it. I mean, angels have been close enough to observe people from all walks of life. 
God's prophets, his apostles, saints, the Savior on earth, all throughout human history. But still, even still, there is something else which they are intensely focused, and it's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me just give you three final statements before we go to prayer. First one here, the holy ones seek to understand salvation so they might, that they might glorify God more fully. And we should do the same. Work out your salvation. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 talk about. Work out what God has worked in. Second here, Scripture tells us that we have something. We, we have, as we look at all those texts, we have a, a position of privilege that is so great that is something that they long after, but it's denied to them. That's how great our salvation is. Angels want it and don't have it. We have it, and therefore we should be giving thanks. We should have truly a thankful spirit. And then third here, we started with a look at the hymn, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Did you know that there was a verse that God omitted from this song here because people felt it wasn't quite fitting for a Christmas carol? I believe it's foundational to the entire song. Judge for yourself here. I'm going to read this. I, I just found this. This wasn't like early in the week and I went, oh, this is really, I stumbled upon it and I went, what? Why isn't that in it? I started pulling some of the hymnals off my shelves and I started Googling online and just comparing all the verses and, and what we're going to sing here in a moment. And I went, this one is completely out. What's going on? Judge for yourself. Listen to this. Here's the final verse. Sinners brought to true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains. Justice now revokes the sentence. Mercy calls you, break your chains. Is that not beautiful? Mercy calls you, break your chains. Have you come to this Christ who has made a, a blood atonement for sinners? I mean, what, who are you trusting for eternity? Mercy calls you, break your chains. He's speaking of the chains of, of sin and death here. And then he ends with, come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures, for our source book. Uh, we thank you for the great glory of God to which the angels testify throughout it and which we see revealed even more fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to thank you for each one gathered here today. A time in which we do come together and sit under the, the preaching of your word and again scribe, ascribe worth to you singing these songs. Thank you for our time that we have on a Sunday morning like this. Bless us now as we respond to your word in singing, singing to the preaching of your word, worshiping you. May we respond as we've just been challenged, even by the hymn. May we worship Christ, the newborn king. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.